Welcome to Cult of Domesticity. I'm Courtney. I'm Ashley. Uh, and today we're going to tell our hometown murders in homage to my favorite murder. It's our God, very favorite podcast. <laughs> it's, okay. it's only our favorite podcast and we only send every sort of media of it to each other. <laughs> so we're going to do a little bit of a longer third episode and we're taking into account the feedback we're getting so please keep sending your feedback in we love it some people we love it some people have been harassed for feedback we know who you are for that (laughs) sorry about that i'm not sorry i am and i'm I'm not not i am and i'm not kind of but (laughs) not really it's all good ashley i know you know my hometown murder because we lived together when it occurred we did, but I don't remember you telling me about it in, like, the time when it happened. Because I didn't know your connection to it then. I didn't know her yet. Yeah. Um, but this is, and I'm getting a lot of this from the Dateline, and then I'm adding in my own spice. But the sources we're putting on our Facebook page, so go like it. And then, you, you know, leave comments. Update our sources and such. Which is always a good thing. Yeah. Um, and if you found something that relates, let us know. We can add it as well. Absolutely. <laughs> so my connection to the murder of Lisa Knafel is my godmother worked with her for a long time. So I found out through, as most people do for family events, um, my mother. <laughs> she told me that one of my godmothers really good work friends had been murdered by her foster daughter while she was sleeping with her youngest daughter in bed with her. I do remember hearing about this on the news, but I think, I don't think we were together when the news story aired, so it would make sense that we didn't talk about it, but I do remember yeah, hearing and about it, was, it on the news. Yeah. So Lisa works, worked in the sex abuse unit of the Cuyahoga County social workers and you know that's not an easy job by any means you see really really horrible things you find out what basically humanity is capable of and she lisa still brought in foster kids while she was being she was a single parent really quick i have a question did your godmother work in the same unit with her yes okay that's what i thought but i wasn't sure yeah, so my godmother is also um, a sex crime social worker, uh, okay, but a lot of, badass. yeah, she, she pretty much is one of my inspirations. She is a total badass. So it pretty much shook their whole department, having one of their own murdered and not job-related, you know. They, they piss off a lot of people. I mean, it would do, they it take would be, kids out of houses. It would be just as bad if it was job-related. But the fact that it wasn't makes it a little bit harder to understand, I think. Yeah. So in November 2012 mm-hmm. in Wilby Hills, Ohio, Lisa was sleeping in her bed with her youngest daughter, who I believe was about three, when her, who was 18 at the time, came in and violently stabbed Lisa to death. And if you watch the Dateline, which, I mean, it's a very good Dateline. It's rough. They play the, they play the 911 ball, and I was cringing. No. It's... 
Why? Her old Lisa's mm. older daughter Why? is on the phone who the one who she did called it? the police. No. So how many Lisa, how many daughters does she have? So the Knaifel household was Lisa and her husband Kevin. Lisa mm-hmm. and Kevin both had kids from previous marriages, but Lisa's first daughter was a, a teenager, a young teenager at the time. Mm-hmm. And Lisa and Kevin had their own child after a year and a half of marriage, Haley, who was three at the time of Lisa's murder. And her foster daughter, Sabrina, came to live with them two years when Haley was two. So two years after Haley's okay. born. Range of ages. So like at the time of the murder, it's like Haley's three. Megan, Lisa's first daughter, is like a young teenager. Mm-hmm. And Sabrina, the foster daughter, is 18. Okay. So end of getting... Sabrina, by the time she had gotten to the Knavel household, she's already been abandoned by both her parents at a really early age. Mm. Went to live with her grandmother. But how she got put into foster care was she had stolen from her grandmother for, for drugs and alcohol money, you know. As, as one does. does. Right. But she was thriving in the Knavel household. And everyone says she's not violent. She was never violent. You know, it had seemed up until murder that everything was going well. Okay, but it always is, though. (laughs) Everything (laughs) is great until it's not. There were really, I mean, we're going to find out the problems. So in this 911 call, it's at 1 a.m. Not a a good time for police calls. Nothing good happens Um, after midnight. (laughs) Isn't that what the Jersey Shore taught us? Do we learn nothing? There's a call by Megan to the police and when the police arrive lisa's dad in her bed sabrina the foster daughter was arrested holding the knife and covered in blood she had stabbed lisa 178 times jesus h roosevelt christ sorry mom um, that is a lot of times she had stabbed her with a bread knife. She had like bent a, the bread knife. Like a butter knife or like a bread knife? The serrated kind or the, serrated, the table knife? If, like, like a longer than a foot Ooh. bread knife. Ooh. She had bent it. I mean, you'd have to. Those aren't very sturdy knives. But think about it. Mm. She bent it not a little, like not at a sharp angle. It was a slight curve. It was like a 25 degree angle. Uh, what? Yeah. Did she wait? Did she bend it before she went into the bedroom? No, or did, from is it like stabbing in the. Oh my goodness. Yeah, from stabbing her so much, she bent the bread knife. Mm. Okay, go on. And basically, I almost cried hearing the cop discuss finding Lisa because he said there you you couldn't find anything that wasn't red. He knew she was already dead by that point. He knew there was no rescuing her, and that's the hardest part of this. So this is even before, this is just the murder. Um, so Sabrina's in, in police custody and she said she blacked out after say, going to the master bedroom to get Advil for a headache. Hold up, you're using the Tylenol defense for this? <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay, come on. Um, and then she asked for an attorney fairly quickly. That's arguably the first smart thing she did that night. You might be asking, where's Lisa's husband? I am asking that. Um, So he was a trucker, and he was at the Michigan and Ohio state lines at the time. Talk about feeling guilty for not being home the one night it matters. Not that he could, I mean, maybe he could have, but not that he could have stopped it. But, man, 
Yeah. <sighs> That's rough. So let's kind of deconstruct this family. So you have the mom's dead. Mm-hmm. The two daughters were there. Um, and the foster you, daughter's now in prison. How do you not hear someone? I mean, a hundred and more than a hundred times, you're going to make some noise. I mean, no, the Megan came down and that's why. Well, no, I know that she did, but what about the three-year-old next to her? She was in the closet. Oh, She hid in no. the closet. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay, I regret having asked that question. Continue. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. However, like I said, Dateline paints it originally as the perfect family, but it's there's, there's some problems coming into this. Okay. We're finding some problems that weren't always clear before. Lisa's murder because they appeared pretty happy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Sabrina apparently was very flirtatious towards Kevin, and you know mm, that's awkward. <laughs> yeah. So there's they they had this free. I don't know how to describe the relationship because I don't know how it appeared to Lisa, but questionable it, at best. Me, yeah. It appeared that Kevin and Sabrina were spending more time, time together than the whole family was together. And Lisa was kind of upset about it, as well as Sabrina was very motherly towards Haley, the three-year-old. So it was almost like she was trying to move in and replace her? Yeah. Okay. So another kind of trigger, you could say, for this incident was Sabrina was living with the Knievels for about 17 months, and then... Lisa said, okay, I don't think this is working out. So someone mm. who has never had a stable home finally, finally gets a stable one. home. And then it's and taken it's, away. Yeah. I mean, hindsight's twenty so, twenty, but yikes. Yeah. So basically, Sabrina's in jail for six months. And, you know, they're trying to figure out what's happening. And pretty soon after Lisa's death, Kevin's cashing in life insurance policies. Multiple? He's not being super cooperative. That's yes. red flag. Sorry. Yeah. Big red flag. And then this is where my connection comes in again. Uh, my godmother said that the social workers and Lisa's friends were throwing a fundraiser for her kids. You know, kind of hard to young kids. What do you right. do when your mother's been murdered? And because they're social workers, they know the cops. Right. And the cops said, hey, don't give the money to Kevin. Hmm. So they clearly suspect him of something, if not actual wrongdoing, of at least not looking out for his kid's best interest in the wake of their mother's sudden death. Yeah, they're at least suspicious because he's cashing in all these life insurance policies, like, really soon, like, days within Lisa being dead. Hmm. I mean, there is a time limit, I think, of how, like, you can't, there's an expiration date on how long, but days, that's, that's fast. Yeah. So about six months after the murder, Sabrina calls the cops and says, I want to talk. I'm going to talk. If you watch the dateline, it's amazing. She says it in her own words. She tells her story. Uh, I love those when I'm not connected to them. (laughs) I don't think I would be able to watch that one. Sabrina says exactly what you said. She she felt like she was part of the American dream. Now she had a family. And once Sabrina and Lisa start fighting, Sabrina begins to feel in like 
the outsider of the family because she is, she's close to Haley and Kevin. Right. And she's but feels like that sense of betrayal from being told to leave. Two weeks after she was asked to leave, the murder happened. No way those are connected. No, no Com- way. Completely um, separate incidents. Sabrina says when she was standing there, because she was debating with the knife whether or not to do it. She did a paranormal activity over the bed. Yeah. Oh. I dislike her even more. Oh, it gets darker, trust me. This is a dark rabbit hole. So, Lisa wakes up while she's doing the paranormal activity over the bed. Oh, no. And thinks it's her daughter, Megan, and goes, Megan, go back to sleep. And then Sabrina started stabbing her. But wait, there's more. All right, Billy Mays. (laughs) Sabrina says Kevin wanted her to murder his wife because he hated Lisa. He hated his wife so much... He was having his foster daughter murder his wife. I don't know how I feel about that yet. Yeah. Not great. Um, He's also told Sabrina that he had several life insurance policies on Lisa. So she says that she knew about the money. Yes. Okay. Sabrina also claimed that they had a sexual relationship for several months. I mean... So it's just as bad as you think. Yeah. What does he and have to say about all of that? He denies everything. Of course he would. I don't know. That's not great. So basically, he's played on her desire to want to have a family, have the stability in, her, in he, her life. He basically made her feel like, yes, you do belong here. And in fact, I would prefer you in Lisa's position over Lisa being there. So what are you going to do to make sure that that happens? Yeah. And the most messed up thing, I think, they discussed several different ways to murder his wife. I'm not kidding you. What did they Google it? No. um, They were discussing, I believe, poison and hitman, like all these different things. And they settle on stab her 174 times. Well, they were planning to make it look like a robbery. Okay, hold up. Even that doesn't hold up because if it was a robbery... Why would you stand there 170 some odd times takes some time to do? You wouldn't have that time if it was a smash and grab robbery that goes bad. Three or I four, believe, maybe. But 170? No. Unless um, she so just I got carried is, away. Yeah, she got carried away. The plan was originally probably stab her a couple times, grab some stuff, go. But she had just been told, you're not welcome here. And the object of that anger... Is there, and she even admits, she goes, was there anger to fuel this? Yes. But was the idea to murder her mine? No. So basically she's saying, Kevin is the one who pushed me to murder. I was mad at Lisa. Yes. Because she's taking away my family. But was, was I willing to kill her? Probably not unless I was pushed towards it. So Kevin basically manipulated this 18 year old girl to murder. Part of me, I agree with that. And I think that that's. Yeah, but part of me says that's a cop-out and that she's trying to push off the blame on someone else so she doesn't have to deal with the fact that not only was she capable of doing this, but she actually went ahead and did it and destroyed whatever family she may have had with this dude if she hadn't killed Lisa and just let them get divorced and then go about it that way. I think, I mean, she does take blame for murdering her. She said, I murdered her. She go, like She's like, I did it. I believe Kevin directed that rage. Yeah. In a way that was murder. Yeah, that's fair enough, so, I guess. 
that's not great, but that's at least she takes some part of responsibility yeah. for it. Yeah. She I mean, I think she does a good job. She takes she takes responsibility for murdering Lisa and says, I wish I could take it back, but I can't, you know. Yeah. She goes, I love this man and he he said this is how we can be together. And if you're eighteen You're gonna believe him. When he's holding out everything you ever wanted. Yeah. You're gonna believe him. Yeah. I so Kevin actually was taken to court. He was arrested, mm-hmm. and Sabrina was the prime witness against him. This is where my second connection comes into oh, play. The, the, the pro- so the prosecutors were saying that, that, like what I was saying, like she would never, Sabrina would have never done this on her own. Right. She would never have come done the leap from anger to murder. Right. So my connection is I actually worked with one of the prosecutor's daughters for like four years. No way. And when you were a lifeguard. Uh huh. That's awesome. Yeah, and I remember her mom running for prosecutor. <laughs> so That's crazy. Yeah. So I have two connections now to this case. And there are, like, you know, designated reporters. So if you see, like, child abuse or any of this. Right. And the thing is, everything they describe, it's not exactly, it's not quite enough to report in my view. But it's weird. Everything yeah. they describe is weird. It's just a hair off. And you're like, it's not enough to come forward with it, but it's something to keep an eye on. And then yeah. it went from zero to 60 real fast. Yeah, so basically, as a social worker, you're a designated reporter. So Lisa was a designated reporter. And, mm-hmm. her, and Kevin's lawyers use that against her, yes, his dead wife, and right. Sabrina's social worker. But Sabrina's social worker said that Kevin ready for it called and said Lisa and him weren't doing well they might get a divorce can Serena be in his custody okay yeah that's a hair off but not anything to report necessarily yeah Uh, I mean he might not be a criminal but he's definitely he sounds like he sounds like a creep yeah he visited Sabrina the day after the murder in jail Yeah. I mean, I don't have anything it, to say to that. Except for a <laughs> long, disapproving pause. <laughs> so, Sabrina testified, talking about how Kevin manipulated her, as well as Sabrina's friend testifying to the court that Sabrina and Kevin were looking for a hitman, and their plan to pay the hitman was by running drugs. When I mean, I don't think her friend is as reliable, but... It's just plausible enough to be... I mean, it could be true. Yeah. Especially where she had stolen from her grandma to buy drugs. Yeah. And the friend said that Kevin was going to drive them to run drugs. Mm, See? Just plausible enough. (laughs) Yeah. I could could buy that. Sabrina's friend dropped out. Okay. So you have the defense then who said all these witnesses, everything is circumstantial against Kevin. I mean, they're not wrong. They're not wrong, but it's like, there's enough weird things that you're right. like, something's... At a certain point, if all of the circumstances, granted circumstances that they may be, if they all point to the same dude, how many times are you going to say, well, it's a coincidence. How many coincidences until yeah. it's fact. Especially because he texted Sabrina probably a hundred times more than his wife. See, that doesn't raise as many alarms with me. I mean, it's definitely a 
I mean, that's like a yellow flag. Because yeah. if he knows, like, my dad and my stepmom don't really text that much during the day. They email, but they're both, they know they're both busy. Whereas they might text, like, me or my stepsister mm-hmm. and be like, hey, we need this. It's, I don't know. I could see where that might be possible. If, the, if he doesn't text his wife that much to begin with, like, before Sabrina was there. But the text messages to his wife is Lisa texted one, like, you need to cut it out oh. with her. Oh, no. What? Yeah, like, you need to cut it out. You need to focus on your family, like, stuff like that. The text messages they do have are kind of damning. Yeah. I retract my earlier defense of him. I really think just watching the dateline because I'm only giving you, like, an abbreviated version. The verdict came back, and Kevin was guilty of all counts. He is serving life in prison. And I can't remember with or without parole. And Sabrina is getting life in prison. And for her part in, like, Mm -hmm. serving as a witness to Kevin... She can get parole in 30 years, which I think is fair, you know? Yeah, I was going to say probably 25 to 30. But, well, I mean, that's just a possibility. That's not even saying that she will get parole. It's just she can yeah. apply for it. Yeah. And you but, know what? She accepts that what she did. Right. And I think that's the most, like, the, the... That's the biggest thing the parole board seems to look for is, do you take responsibility and have you made an effort to improve yourself? In the meantime. Yeah. And she acknowledges what she did was stupid and all of this. And she goes, I see how this could appear this way. You know, if you watch the episode, she's, she, she's regretful. Like, she's regretful. She understands now that she was manipulated, but she was 18 and searching for a family. And, I mean, that's hard for anyone. Yeah. At the same time, though, this was the mother of that family that she found. Like, yeah. Lisa was her family, too. So that excuse carries some water, but not a lot. No, it doesn't... It does not bring back a mother... No. ...to Lisa's kids. Or a father, now, because she effectively took Kevin from them, too. Yeah, basically, they're now living with family. So it's just... It's a hard situation, because Lisa seemed like the person who would do anything for you and love to help people, and now... Because of essentially one young girl and one man who couldn't ball up, tell his wife, by the way, they weren't married that long, that he didn't love her anymore. All of that would have been avoided if he had just said, look, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for this to happen, but I'm in love with her and I'm leaving you for her. Because I mean, she's 18 at that point. It's gross, but it ain't illegal anymore. If she's 18, she's emancipated. He's not her foster father. Is yeah. it gross? A hundred percent. Is it illegal? Sadly, no. No. <laughs> and so, I now found out I have another connection to this story. So my third connection, I just found out Lisa's other daughter, mm-hmm. Megan, works in my hometown. Mm-hmm. And one of the girls I work with, like, woman, she's mm-hmm. a woman, mm-hmm. um, no, sir. She knows her? Yeah, she knows Megan. What? She's friends with her daughter. Yeah. That was my new one I found out that I knew you would love. I do love that. That's crazy. So, Megan is is working. I was going to say, is she doing okay? 
I, I mean, as well as can be expected. Yeah, as well as can be expected. She's working. I don't know if she's going to school or not, but I'm wish. I always wish. Anytime wish you hear that, stuff, you always wish all those girls well. We just wish them the the children of that family all the best, and we hope you're coping with it because that's some dark shit. Absolutely. And I hope they know they're not alone. There are people out there who support them and want them to be the best version of themselves that they could be. Yeah. Well, that was really good. Good job. (laughs) Thank you. That was the murder of Lisa Knafel from Willoughby Hills, Ohio. Indeed. So, Ashley, it's your turn now. Oh, yeah. Mine is thing that happened in the town that I did most of my growing up in. And the parts that I'm going to be dwelling on, which Mm -hmm. the actual murder is, it's horrible even by our standards. I'm going to try not to dwell on that too much, but I'm going to focus on the trial that came afterward because it's, it was a benchmark. It was a big deal. And that was all over the news the entire time I was in high school. So I am covering the murder of Paris Talley by her mother, China Arnold. And yeah, this was in Dayton, Ohio. And the murder occurred in August of 2005. So I would have been in like fifth or sixth grade. So I didn't really hear that much about it when it first happened. Because, we were youngins. Well, yeah, because we were little kids. And, I mean, it was on the news, but it was one of those stories where we used to watch the news together, like, over dinner. And if something like that came on, my mother would switch to the other channel of news because she said she knew it was going to be <laughs> some nightmare-inducing shit that she didn't want to have to deal with at 11.30 at what? night. What? You don't want to comfort your children after that? I mean, you'll understand why, because there's not a lot of comforting things you could say about this one. Okay. So, China and her boyfriend, I think, I think it was her boyfriend, Terrell, were living together in an apartment complex. And she had had her baby Paris, 20, mm-hmm. it would have been 27 days, the night of the argument mm-hmm. that they had. And they got into a huge fight over whether or not Terrell was baby Paris's real father. Awkward. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, he was thinking that someone else who lived in the apartment complex may have been the father. So he confronted her about no. it. No. Oh, yeah. He confronted her about it. And China said that she was intoxicated at the time and it doesn't excuse this in any way shape or form but I think it's important in understanding her frame of mind um so she's stressed she's she's just had a baby she's she's drunk drunk or high or something maybe both I don't know either way not in the frame of mind for making great life decisions and she apparently didn't know one way or the other whether Terrell was the baby's dad or not at that time. What? So her biggest fear has suddenly been called to the forefront when she's in this awful, stressed out, not great mindset. 
and she made an objectively horrible decision and she put baby Paris in the microwave and she turned it on. No, 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 no. Yeah. No. And she turned it on. Sweet baby angel. No. So, so the next day she takes her to the hospital and baby Paris dies at the hospital. She was. I don't think people survive microwaving. Nope. She was 28 days old. So, Tarn was arrested on the spot, but she was released because they had no evidence against her other than this baby had severe internal burn damage, but there was nothing on her, like, there were no external burns. So, they knew something had happened. They knew either way she was going to be charged with neglect or murder or abuse of some sort because you don't just leave. I don't know. You can't not file charges in that situation. Yeah. But because that was all they had to go on, they Could had they to not let search her go. The house? They had to let her go. What are they going to find at that point? They didn't have enough probable cause to say, we want to search her house because we think she did it. All they had was, this baby is dead and we need to do something. So they arrest her, but they have to let her go. She was arrested again in November of the next year, so November 2006, and she went to trial, not once, but twice. In the first trial... Wait, 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 wait. You said twice? Yeah, I sure did. This is why I want to focus on this, because it's such an interesting... This was the part... I mean, the community was horrified by what she did. Or what she was alleged to have done at that point. You never... This is like the Dingo ate my baby situation. It's it's outside the realm of possibility for a lot of people. But what followed and what happened during the trial was just as... Not just as bad, but it was up there. So, the first trial, her boyfriend, or Terrell, I don't know if they were still together. I don't know. The first trial, Terrell takes the stand, and he had a son from a previous relationship. And he says that his son told him that he had taken Paris out of the microwave after a neighbor boy had put her in. And because of, yeah, because of that testimony, a mistrial was called. So... Can we please just talk about the fact that he in covered that scenario... For her, he two kids. Her. I mean, two kids put a baby in a microwave and turned like, it one on. put them in, one put it out. Yeah. Oh god. But I mean, that's crazy, and it's been proven false. So he covered for her. He made up a completely bullshit story, threw his own kid under the bus and a neighbor kid, and covered for the woman who killed his child. Did they prove it was his child? I don't think they ever did a DNA test, but to him. He thought that it, for most of the kid's life, he thought that she was his. He had nothing but suspicion to say that she wasn't, as far as I know. So, okay. So they call a mistrial, and she's tried again, because that's what happens when there's a mistrial for a murder case. So during the second trial, the neighbor boy's mom takes the stand, and she was able to prove that not only were they not home, they weren't even in the neighborhood or in the complex when the incident happened. 
So she oh, thank goodness. proves that he's lying. So at oh. the second trial, China was convicted of aggravated murder and sentenced to life without parole. As you as you should, you microwaved a baby. This was a death penalty case. So she could have faced execution, but she, the jury decided against it and decided life without parole is a better punishment because now every day she has to wake up incarcerated and she has to face the reality of what she did. So wait, does Ohio still have the death penalty? Oh yeah. Ohio is one of the top, I think it's definitely top 10, but I think top five states for number of executions per year. Texas is obviously number one, but I think my criminal law professor, I think she said that we were, like, number three or number seven. I don't remember. There was the three involved somehow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, Professor Orlando. But so, uh. the interesting part is that in between the first and second trial, she was held on a million dollars bail. So, she wasn't getting out. So, she was in jail for the time in between. And her cellmate from that time says that China confessed one night that she put Paris in the microwave because she was afraid of what Terrell would do if he knew that he wasn't Paris's dad. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is not a good reason. No. But we need to take that story with a grain of salt because the cellmate later changed the story. And she was never called to testify. Which even, I mean, that makes sense because it would have been hearsay and it would have been thrown out immediately. But it resonates with me, but it could just be because it's what I want to hear. Not (laughs) not want to hear, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So she was allowed the second trial and the mistrial was declared not just because of the testimony that Terrell gave, but also because the appellate court determined that there was prosecutorial misconduct in the first one. In that... How? They claim that some of the witnesses that could have come to testify for the defense were either hidden or just not allowed to testify for whatever reason. And that was the court's Hmm. finding. It wasn't just her defense team alleging it. It was the court agreed with them. So she was granted the second trial. Yeah. That was the part that, like, I remember that. That was the first thing I remember hearing about. Because that would have been... Her second trial started, I think, in November of 2010. So that would have been junior year of high school, for me at least. And so she's granted the second trial, right? And then she's found guilty. So her team, naturally, her defense team, appeals again. And they're still, I think they're still in the appellate process, but I could be wrong. They may have already been denied. So my connection to this is not just the sheer amount of media coverage that this trial received, and it did get a lot of attention, not just in Ohio. I mean, the BBC reported on it, which you'll see if you check out our sources page, because I cite them. But this was international news because it was so awful. Yeah, I mean, baby deaths are often and reported, so, especially bad ones. Yeah. But anyway, so not just the press coverage, but when I was getting my associate's degree, I mean, Dayton is a small legal community. I mean, everybody pretty much knows each other. So a lot of my... Also, Dayton's not that big. It's not. And the legal community is pretty close-knit. So a lot of my professors either 
knew the defense team, knew the judge, or knew both in most cases. Um, and we talked about it briefly in my criminal law class, which was taught by one of my favorite professors. They're all my favorite, but one of my favorite favorites. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she had been, she worked for like six years in the prosecutor's office in the um, second district court where this was tried. It wasn't her case, but she did know people who worked on it. And okay. also, one of my very good friends interviewed with the attorney who was the head of Chen Arnold's defense team. She didn't take the position, but she interviewed with him not too long after we graduated, which I thought was crazy. I mean, obviously, they weren't, they, it wasn't something they brought up in the interview because attorney-client privilege, he can't talk about it. But Yeah, oh, oh yeah. So, yeah, that's my awful hometown murder. And, like I said, there is one more that I want to do, but it's big. There's a lot of moving parts to it. So, it will probably end up being its own standalone thing, if that's okay with you. That sounds good. If you want to hear Ash's other hometown murder, let us know. Um, especially because it sounds... I don't know what it is. I've never heard. It. You told me this one before briefly and it yeah. freaked me out. And now knowing more of it, it's, it's even more messed up. It is. So thanks for listening. Um, we're on iTunes, SoundCloud. Make sure to uh, rate us on iTunes, provide reviews. We love the feedback. Um, check us out on Facebook and Twitter, Ashley, which they so are. Both of them are at Domestic Podcast, and if you'd like to leave feedback on our Facebook page, I believe you can message it privately, or as far as that goes, you can post on the timeline. That's fine. We don't mind. We have thick skins, and we don't mind being corrected when we're wrong, because that's how you learn things, and we're always trying to improve, and we're a work in progress. So, feedback and is And that's why we're doing this. Exactly. To learn. Mm-hmm. So we're interested in doing a recipe of the week. If you'd like that or like to submit a recipe um, either on Facebook or Twitter, which are both at Domestic Podcast, um, feel free. You can private message us or just post them. We'll, we'll see all of them. Um, and I think that's it for now. Ashley, high five across the Internet. High five. And thank you for listening. We love you all.